Welcome to the Power of Mindset podcast, where we cover anything and everything from the perspective of two health and wellness professionals. I'm Georgia. And I'm Hope. Enjoy today's episode. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Power of Mindset. I am Hope here with Georgia. Hey there, everyone. We hope you had a wonderful, happy, healthy, and safe New Year celebration. And Georgia, what did you do over New Year's? Oh, not a lot. I sat at home, had a nice night with my dog, and just chilled, you know, because I was coming home from my family trip that we took between Christmas and New Year's. So just chill. What about you, Hope? Um, we went to Panama City, and it was really fun. We have gone out in Destin a lot, but we haven't spent too much time in Panama City. We'll go down there sometimes for dinner, but we actually got a hotel, and it was right on the ocean, and it was super warm. It was in, like, the 80s, and we went down to the ocean that night, and people were actually in the water, and I put my feet in the water, and it was freezing. I don't know how they were swimming in it, but um, it was it was beautiful. We had so much fun, and um, yeah, it was really exciting. Well, that's awesome. I still think it's so cool how close you are to that stuff, and can you can just take day trips to Florida. That's awesome. Yeah, it makes it a little bit better. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I've definitely learned a lot about the southern geography (laughs) since I've been down here. I had no idea. Um, But how was your trip with your family? Oh, it was good. We went to Branson, Missouri, which is about a five and a half, six hour drive from Ottumwa, where my family's from. And we'd been to Branson before when I was little. Um, So it was nice to be back and experience it as an adult and actually make memories that I'll actually keep in my mind Mm because I don't remember a lot from the trip. Um, But yeah, we went to, um, we were just there for a couple of days. So we got to go to an amusement park called Silver Dollar City, and it was Oh, uh, I went there once when I was super little, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did not remember it at all, except I remember that I, res- I left the amusement park with a stuffed animal, which, like, most of the memories that I have in childhood, I feel like are stuffed animal related, so not surprised by that. But it was cool being back. It was just kind of a rainy day, kind of cold, but fun they had a bunch of really really cool christmas lights around there which like they had a humongous christmas tree that was um that had like lights choreographed to music it was so cool to be there around this time but also at the same time cool as it was christmas was over at this point and there was no snow on the ground and it was rainy so i was also kind of over all the christmas stuff and they were just playing christmas music constantly complaining aside it was really cool and besides that, we also went and did like a, a golf cart, like nature trail tour thing. And my mom let me drive the golf cart. Um, and we got to drive through this bar that was in a cave and get some alcoholic beverages. And cool. then we finished. <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. And then we finished off the trip going to the Dolly Parton stampede. And um, you just see a lot of horses going around, seeing some cool, uh, seeing them do some cool tricks. And then they. We'll bring out other animals, and it's just kind of a fun little show. We went to that when I was a kid, too, and I remember that was the place where I think I was first exposed to fried chicken because <laughs> they don't have they don't have silverware at all. You have to eat with your hands. So, But I was just this little girl having to eat this whole fried chicken with 
her hands and it was just an amazing experience it tasted so good um so that was a really kind of reminiscent moment being back there too but yeah cool sounds fun yeah um i did want to kind of plug myself so also over the holiday season new year i kind of on a whim decided that i wanted to start a youtube channel so i've been wanting to do youtube for a while i think it's a really cool platform it's similar to podcasting but you get to show your face and you get to play around with video effects and things like that um so i actually decided to create one and it's going to be based on my lifestyle as well as kind of goal setting habit formation um, and right now I'm just kind of playing with it. I'm kind of choosing that I'm going to suck at YouTube for now and just put out videos that I enjoy and that are fun and kind of learn through the process. And I actually have a little blog of Branson that'll be up by the by the time this podcast comes out too. So if you're interested in kind of seeing what Branson looks like around the holiday season, you can check that out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've obviously only seen the first video that's out, but it was awesome. You guys should definitely check that out. And it's just your name, right? That's how they can find you on yep. YouTube. Yep. Georgia Garrett. We could probably link that in our show notes too. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the other exciting thing that is happening pretty soon, actually the day that this episode comes out, my dog Addison is going to turn 10 years old and it's going to be January 10th. So it's her golden birthday. I'm planning on going all out. So I think I'm going to maybe wrap her a present. I think I'm going to try to either bake or buy her a cake and um, put on a big celebration. So I'm very, very excited about that coming up. (laughs) Happy birthday, Addie. (laughs) She says thank you wherever she is. (laughs) So Hope, how has your program been going? Good. I am starting week five this week. Um. The last couple of weeks have gone really well. Um, last week, especially, like I was finally eating more, which the purpose of Iron Guide is to build muscle and build strength. So you really want to be at least at maintenance, if not in a caloric surplus. And the first couple of weeks, I just, I was not there. I don't know what was going on, but that's not like me. I'm, I tend to overeat versus undereat um, naturally. So it was kind of weird that first week. And then the second week with marshmallow, like, that one was kind of understandable. Um, but this last week I've been eating good. I've been feeling good. Um, and it's been awesome. It's been very exciting. It's really fun. Um, at week number seven, my exercises will change. So I have just like two more weeks with the same exercises. So it's kind of nice to have that halfway point to look forward to and, and try something new. And I'm already getting excited thinking about what I want to do next. Um, after this program is over. So I'm, I'm trying not to get ahead of myself and I'm trying to just focus on what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely need to have a plan set up for, for when I'm done. So we'll see what happens. Oh, well, that's super exciting. I'm happy yeah. to hear that. So let's dive into our topic for today. Today we are talking about Georgia's research, your research as a graduate student. So first, I guess, can you just give us an overview of what grad school is like, what your degree is in, like just give us some background on, on kind of what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first off, I just want to make it clear that grad school seems cool and it seems really unattainable for a lot of people. And whenever someone says they're in grad school, you always assume that they are you know, just super smart and they have it all figured out. They know exactly what they want to do and that's why they're there. 
And I just want to say that everything you hear about grad school, in my opinion, is a myth. Um, I don't think that you have to be super smart or you have to have it all figured out to be here. And in fact, the reason why I'm even in grad school is because I didn't know what I wanted to do. The only thing that I knew is that I enjoyed being in school and I enjoyed taking classes and learning about kinesiology and exercise. So I wanted to continue doing that. And that's why I applied to be in grad school. It wasn't for any other reason. I don't necessarily have any end goals that are associated with my degree, but I do see my degree as obviously opening some doors for me, hopefully, and giving me useful experience. Um, but I don't at all, all have it all figured out. And I nor any of the people that are also in grad school with me are, you know, extremely um, you know, higher level intelligence necessarily. They're all very hardworking and they are all, all, all obviously very smart, um, but they're also just normal people. So I do just want to put that out there. Um, grad school is a big challenge, but I don't think it's a humongous step up from your normal bachelor's degree, especially if you approach it in a certain way. And I approached grad school with the mindset that I was still going to let myself have fun. I was not going to focus my mind entirely on my coursework and on my thesis because that's just not who I am. I need to have some things in my life that are just there for fulfillment. So I still take my time away from school doing things that bring me joy. So yeah, that's kind and of what grad your, school has been like. Sorry. What's your degree in? Um, I'll be getting my master's degree in kinesiology and then my emphasis is going to be in motor control for that. Can you... I guess, describe what motor control is and, and what goes into it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So motor control is essentially the study of how, I mean, how you learn skills. That's how I like to think of it a lot. It's, it's the study of motor learning. So the process of when a skill is brand new to you, like, you know, a squat and how over time you can improve your ability to execute that skill. Um, as well as other processes like reaction time. So how fast you're able to move or, and respond to a certain stimulus or something like that. Um, it's a really large factor in exercise and just in human movement in general. And I think it's a topic that's not talked about enough. And the reason why I chose motor control is because we have a whole class dedicated to it in our undergraduate degree at Iowa State. And it was in my top three favorite classes because it was just so fascinating. And it was an area of kinesiology that I had never thought about before taking that class. Cause it's not about the muscles. It's not about, you know, nutrition. It's not about how you build muscles. Um, it has to do with why your nervous system works the way it does to impact movement and how the nervous system kind of, I guess, responds to movement. But it's just something that we just know very little about. Um, and I also just really like the connection that motor control brings between movement and the brain because I love kinesiology and I also love psychology. And to me, motor control kind of bridges the two, the two fields of study together. Sure. Yeah. Um, when I took motor, motor control during my undergraduate degree, we have like this main project for the course and um, mm -hmm. you get to choose between like juggling or using chopsticks so you have to essentially learn a new skill and you like practice it every day and and take notes on your progress and things like that um so that was incredibly useful because i had used chopsticks a few times i knew that 
there was little chance of me learning how to juggle and I would rather have done something useful uh, for myself. So um, I learned how to use chopsticks and you'd like move one M&M to a bowl into another mm-hmm. M&M or into another bowl. And um, that was really cool. And now I'm, I'm pretty good at, at using chopsticks. So, <laughs> yeah. And the thing that I thought was so cool about that project, too, was that it gives you some perspective because a lot of us have this mindset and it's natural where if you're not good at it the first time, then you're never going to be good at it. And what motor control and the study of motor learning teaches you is that, no, you're you're going to be bad at the skill when you first start it. Like, think about children, think about babies, how much they just suck at all types of movement when they are young and how gradually they develop their skills over time. It's the same thing for you and for any skill that you are trying to learn. You're going to suck at it the first time, and that does not mean you're always going to suck. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really about practice and it's about intention. And there's, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into it that can help you, but it's still a process. So, And that's like, that's really good for right now. People starting like um, get, getting back into the gym, like you're going to be bad if it's your first time and it's something you're going to have to work at. And even now I've been lifting since I was in high school and I still am learning new things. I am still perfecting my lifts. I am still trying to be better. It's not something that you're you're going to have figured out and then it's just going to be a, a walk in the park for the rest of your life. Like you're still going to have to work at it just like any other skill. Oh yeah, it's always a journey and there's always things that you can improve. Okay, so your your degrees in motor control, I'm assuming that's what your research is focused on. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about what you've been doing because you haven't haven't talked about it too much during the podcast and it's it's super cool to be able to contribute to science and to be able to contribute to our field of study I just I just think it's awesome and I'm excited to actually have this episode where you actually get to talk about it (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I feel like it's difficult for me to talk about it because I'm still kind of well, I'm still very new to this field and the idea of being a scientist and being a researcher is some is an identity that I've kind of I haven't been as willing to accept about myself because I have a little bit of imposter phenomenon going on where like me there's no way that I could be a researcher and there's no way that I can contribute to the lit- literature in a meaningful way. And that's just not true and I know it's not true, but there's still that voice in the back of my head that says that. So it's hard for me to talk about it. But this project that I'm doing is something that means more and more to me as I dive deeper into it, because it is really cool to, to see the impact that I'm making and see the small ways in which this project is helping me learn and also the small ways that I'm seeing it help other people learn already. Um, and I do want to say this project isn't necessarily what I thought that I was going to be studying when I entered grad school. For one, I didn't really know exactly what it was, but I did want my project to be based more on motor learning than anything else. That didn't end up happening for logistic reasons. We were going to have issues with um, recruiting enough participants for what I wanted to do. So I did kind of sidetrack my study, and I'm looking at this concept called executive function. And executive function is not necessarily motor control, It's more to do with just your common brain functions that help you carry out daily adult tasks. And there's three main pieces of executive function. 
And one of those is working memory. So just being able to hold things in memory, remembering sequences about things, useful pieces of information, things like that. There's also this um, thing called inhibition. So like exercising self-control, self-regulation, things that we're all trying to focus on a lot, especially here in the new year. And then the third aspect of executive function that's commonly talked about is something called cognitive flexibility. And this can be conceptualized as seeing different sides of a situation. So being able to be flexible in your mind so that you can be creative in a new way or try to solve a problem that you've been working on, things like that. And those are all factors that if you look at little kids, they really struggle with that sort of thing. So executive functions are housed in the prefrontal cortex, which is that area right in the front of our brains that develops last. And I think it develops around the age 25 or so. So you hear the age thrown around a lot is that's when the brain fully matures. And that's kind of what people mean generally. The brain fully matures, your executive functions are fully developed. So that's more what I'm studying. So I'm doing a lot of brain stuff. I don't actually do any brain scans for my study or anything. I just kind of look at the, um, the secondary functions. But that's what I'm focused on. And I enjoy it a lot. I think the concept of executive function is really important and it's really fascinating. Rhythmic physical activity just is a fancy way to say dancing or something else that involves rhythm. And in this case, for my study, the dance that we're doing is a knockoff version of Dance Dance Revolution that's called Step Mania. And um, rhythmic physical activity is just another form of what we call cognitively engaging physical activity. And that's just physical activity that really challenges the mind and mental processes in there. So you can also think of physical activity that challenges your coordination or that makes you think, you know, in a more academic way. I've already talked about what executive function means. And then pre-adolescent children are just kids that have not started puberty yet. So the age group that I'm specifically looking at are kids between the ages of eight and 10 years old, who again, have not shown any signs that they've started puberty. So when you say that it's acute, does that mean that you're doing pre-test, doing like the, the screening and then doing the post-test all in the same session and they're, they don't come back? Yes and no, because we have the rhythmic physical activity that we're most interested in, but then we also have other conditions or other treatments that we want to compare it to so that we can see whether there is a benefit of, you know, specifically the dance physical activity that we don't see in just normal physical activity or in if they were just to spend that that session sitting instead. Each participant does like the the physical activity part. They do like the just sitting part and then they do like the dance dance or dance dance revolution part, right? On three yes. separate occasions and then they're yes. tested through all of that. Okay. Yes. The way the study is designed is really similar to a study that my professors did a few years ago. Um, so it was kind of influenced by that study a lot. And I don't have in my study a treatment group and a control group that you hear about a lot in experimental studies. Instead, each individual participant is their own treatment and their own control. And this kind of design is really nice because having a person be their own control is just a really good way to help you know if you actually see an effect. How many people do you have participating? Um, we're still recruiting at this point. I'm hoping to get the number around 20 or 30 kids at the end of the study. As they are recruited, we can have them come in and get tested because it's on an individual basis. So each kid comes in on their own and they complete a session by themselves. Um, so it's just how many people I can get. 
And especially for a master's program like this, I don't, I, I want my thesis to be publishable, but it doesn't have to be publishable. So I'm just trying to get as many participants as I can so that I have data to present at the end of my, at the end of my degree. Gotcha. So if you're in the Ames area and you know somebody between the ages of eight and 10, have them sign up for Georgia's study. But yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a complicated study to just describe in full detail. So I'm going to do my best, but um, the design is called a counterbalance crossover design. And this means that each individual participant completes the three sessions that we have in a randomized order. So we have the rhythmic session where they come in and they do this step mania dance game for about 15 minutes. They also have what I am calling our continuous physical activity session where they come in and they walk on a treadmill for 15 minutes. And then the third option or the third session that they will complete is just a quiet rest session where they actually just come in and read a book for 15 minutes. And during each of those sessions, we are measuring heart rate because we want the intensity for the physical activity sessions to be pretty much on the same level. And then obviously we want the quiet rest intensity to be much lower and much more sedentary. Um, so they come into each of those three sessions in a random order. And then at the end of that, once we've collected enough participants, I go through and I analyze the data and I see if there's any difference between the, each of those sessions, I guess. So we see if there's a difference between the two physical activity sessions and the quiet rest or if there is a difference between rhythmic and continuous, there's there's a lot of comparisons that I could make. And those are still up for discussion on exactly what will happen there. But yeah, additionally, so they don't just obviously come in and do those sessions and leave. We also obviously have them do some tests. So for each of those sessions, they'll come in and they'll do a pretest and a post-test. And they're identical in what they do in pretest and post-test. They complete a test of their executive functions and it's a computer test that we have them do and it's called the flanker um, i think you can google the flanker on youtube and get an idea of what it's about but we have a version that's made for kids where there's fish on a screen and they can feed the hungry fish and then we also have them complete a paper pencil attention task then they go through the session and they complete those same two tasks at the end for the post test they also fill out a subjective evaluation of whether or not they enjoyed the activity that they just did, how tired it made them feel, and also like what their mood is like and how much they use their brain to work during the activity. Because obviously I want the dance physical activity to be a little bit more cognitively engaging than I want the continuous physical activity mm -hmm. to be. So, yeah. Cool. And this is, this is my first time, I guess, going this in depth with what you've been doing for your research project. Like I knew, you know, the, the big idea of it, I knew you were doing a dance and seeing how that affected, you know, like cognitive ability and, and stuff like that. But it's, it's very cool to, to learn the ins and outs and, you know, how you're going through that process. So when is your end date, I guess, what happens when the study is over? So you end and then like, how do you go through the process of like submission and stuff like that? Oh gosh, this is something that I still need to learn more about because again, imposter phenomenon, I've kind of been procrastinating on that whole process there. But generally what will happen is I will write up my thesis. Can you give um, like a description of what a thesis is for people that don't know? Yes. Okay, so 
my thesis is just a big long document that I have to type up all myself and I will submit for review to a bunch of people, a bunch of professors in my department. So I have a committee of professors that are kind of supporting me and guiding me through this process during my graduate degree. So I have my major professor who is the person that's in charge of me. She kind of acts as my advisor. And then my committee is made up of her and two other professors that are also in my field and can also give good advice. So, so they're all really good resources for me to pull from. And they all, you know, offer lab spaces that I can use. They can show me how to use certain equipment that I'm not familiar with, things like that. So a great guiding resource. They are also the people I go to to um, kind of look over anything that I've written so far, anything that I have questions about that I, or things that I need reviewed, whatever it is. So um, I write out that document, I submit it to them, and then it's also submitted to the director of graduate education for my department and so on and so forth. Just a lot of approval processes. Then I will also put together a presentation where I will basically turn my thesis document into I don't know, a PowerPoint probably and defend it. And I don't know the process of defense super, super well, but it'll be a lot of preparation, a lot of sitting or standing at my desk and writing and erasing and rewriting and just a lot. So you have your your committee of professors. Um, is it just you like conducting the research or do you have other people helping you along with those professors? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I'm lucky to have a group of undergraduate students that are helping me with the process. My major professor has a lab group and we meet weekly uh, for a little seminars essentially where we meet and depending on the week, we'll talk about a study that was picked out in the literature that relates to my research project or some other topic that we're talking about related to motor control or things like that. And when we have a research study going, like my project going right now, we can actually train those undergraduate students up and they can take participants through the process. So I have a few really awesome undergraduate students who are able to take my participants through their baseline sessions, through the pre-post, all of the activity sessions without me being there. So that takes a load off of me. And it's also a really, really great experience for those undergraduates getting to be involved with research, especially if they're planning on going to grad school themselves or going to physical therapy school, med school, whatever it is, because that firsthand experience with research gives you a little bit of insight into the process behind it so that when you go and you read research or you create it later, you know what it's like. You have something to base it on. Um, so if you are an undergrad that's interested in reaching out to your professor and learning more about what they do, I highly recommend it because um, that's something that I was really jealous about because I didn't realize that those lab groups even existed. Because for one, I wasn't really interested in re research when I was an undergrad anyways. But I, I missed out on a huge benefit just from going and attending on a weekly basis even would be would have been huge. So I think it's hard to find research. Like I definitely think it should be marketed a little bit more while you're in school because I, I agree I didn't really even know about it when when I was in school, at, when I, I did my freshman year at the University of Iowa, and mm -hmm. you could get like extra credit for going and participating in research for some of your courses. So at Iowa, I was very exposed to it, to what was going on on campus and what kind of research projects they were doing. But at Iowa State, I never had that. 
So it would have been nice to know what was going on because I would have liked to have done it for, you know, especially like exercise and in kinesiology type courses. Yeah. There's always opportunities for research, especially at really big institutions. And Iowa State is a huge research oriented institution. So there's always stuff going on that would be useful um, to learn about and just be useful to have some kind of a hand in. Also, like, it's so cool to me that undergraduate students, if you help out enough with a research study, you can have your name on the author list for an article oh. that gets published. And awesome. like, can you imagine being junior in college, whatever, and you've already got your name on a piece of literature that's just out there in the research making a difference? Like, Amazing. It, it's insane to me. And that like, and not everybody wants that. And you definitely don't need to do that. But if that's something that's cool to you, to just have your name on something like that, huge opportunity to do that. Just dive in. And you you don't have to be super into research and stuff. But in our field, especially if you're, if you're going to school for this, like you kind of need to be interested in it because that's what our degree is all about. And that's what our career is all about is the research, is the data, it is the scientific studies and um, that's why it's just so fascinating. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cause honestly, if you, that's a really good way to actually vet a fitness professional. If they don't have some kind of an ev- evidence-based practice, are they really going to give you the results that you want to see? Cause that's some like, you need to be able to take a piece of literature and read it, interpret it and use it to make your practice better. If you want to help your clients make changes. I feel that- like we learned that quite a bit. Yeah, and that was like that's, the main focus. Yeah, yeah. Because I will tell you right now, I am I am not necessarily interested in continuing being a researcher. Research is not something I'm really interested in. I'm much more of a practical person. I'd much rather implement, you know, research that someone else has created into my practice than I would actually create new information. I'm grateful for this experience, but that's definitely my where where I shine is actually putting it into practice. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something that is invaluable, I think, especially for fitness professionals, but also no matter what you're doing, if you're able to read literature and then use it to make your life better, you're going to be better off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very important, especially in the fitness industry when there's so much, there's misinformation everywhere, everywhere you look on social media, you know, you talk to people and there's just misinformation all around but if people knew how to read the literature they would understand you know what's true and what's not and you you have you have to be able to read the studies you know to know to understand the results and I I think that's awesome that we were taught that in school and that we can be that that resource for other people because nobody like other people they have their own jobs they you know have lives they have families they don't have time to go sit and search through research like that's that's what we do and that's why it's I don't know I guess it's it's perfect it makes sense why we do what we do because we actually enjoy that kind of stuff you know Mm -hmm. well thanks for uh sharing your research project I I was super interested in it I (laughs) hope that other people were I hope that you like talking about it but um we I'll be excited for when you finish in the the spring summer-ish time frame and get to hear how it goes. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. I'm really hoping to 
talk about it a little bit more and make it more open for other people to kind of watch that process because it is super interesting. And I think it's something that people can um, and should know a little bit more about just being in grad school and going through the research process. So yeah, thank you so much for letting me talk about it. Hope. Well, as always, <laughs> thank you guys for listening to another episode of Power of Mindset. We will see you back here in a couple weeks. Bye-bye. See ya. Thank you for listening to Power of Mindset. Have questions or suggestions? Email us at powerofmindsetpod at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at hope.fullyfit. And follow me at georgiamarie underscore G. Please rate, follow, and leave a review to help us grow. Please, dear Lord, let us do this in one take. <laughs>